Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Hey, I just want to uh, acknowledge somebody here in the third row. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, on, uh, on, uh, yeah, here you go. On, uh, what was it, uh, Tuesday? No, Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? What day? Wednesday. That's right. On Wednesday, she went into the hospital to have a potentially life-threatening procedure for a life-threatening condition. And uh, Sunday, she sits here joining us in worship. Cindy, we are so grateful to God for you, for your health. What a story you have to tell. And we're looking forward to a Sunday morning coming up and hearing a little bit more about it. But in the meantime, we just want to say we love you. And so often uh, we petition God and, and then he answers our prayers. And then we move on and petition him for something else. But we don't stop and, and give thanks uh, for answered prayer. And surely you are answered prayer. So we give thanks to God for that today. Can we pray? Father, we thank you that you are a God who not only hears, but you are a God who responds. And Lord, um, each of us uh, can account and remember times when, Lord, prayers weren't answered exactly in the way we had hoped or wanted, yet we trust you and your sovereignty. But Father, when they are... (laughs) And in such a big way, we want to pause and we want to recognize and we want to thank you. Uh, We thank you for Cindy. Uh, We thank you for her health. Uh, We thank you for uh, the story uh, of the events that led up to um, just your healing hand resting upon her and bringing her to us this morning. Uh, God, we will never forget and nor do we ever want to forget or minimize your love and the way you express that in so many ways through answered prayer. So, Father, we begin this morning's service uh, saying that with you, all things are possible, and with you, nothing is impossible, even though it may appear that at first glance. And God, we are so grateful for the miracle of Christmas. Lord, we um, just open our hearts to you today, to your word into your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you guide us and lead us? Would you speak to us? Father, may we be changed people as a result of encountering you and worshiping you here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. By the way, if that wasn't enough encouragement to pray and to be prayed for, I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Sarah and Kim are back. Uh, by the cross. They'll be there during the entire service at any time you feel prompted to pray or to be prayed for or to have someone pray with you. Go on back to the prayer corner. I'm telling you, God answers prayer. 
Uh, and he does it sometimes in the most unexpected ways. Also, while Ted was making his announcement this morning, I don't think we told you that the materials that he has, uh, that he shared with us, the brochure and the information piece, uh, those are available and they're sitting on the back table by the kids' check-in. You can see them there right in front of the missions bulletin board. And so if you would like some of that information or brochure, that's where you can receive it. And then finally, uh, if uh, you still are struggling with the events of the earthquake, whether that be just cleaning up your home and you could use an extra hand or two to come alongside and help you, uh, or, um, you know, just it, it just kind of shook you up a little bit, you're a little on edge and, and you want to come and talk with somebody, um, our staff is here. We're available to talk with you, to sit with you. And uh, also, if there is a need uh, just for help around your house, if you would call our church office uh, so we could know that and then we could get some folks over to, to give you a hand. We, we want to be able to do that, okay? All right. So, you have your bulletin this morning, and on the front of it, you see a picture of the nativity with the title The Yuletide You Discovering <clears throat> Your Piece of the Story. It was interesting when I was considering what our Advent um, sermon series would be, and I began to read and reflect on the birth narratives and, and the account of the birth of Jesus. Uh, I began to wonder I wonder what it would have been like to be the wise men. Or can you imagine being Joseph or Mary? Or um, shepherds, right? Or uh, Simeon, uh, who was awaiting uh, the birth of the Savior. Or any one of those that were involved in the story that we are so familiar with. And as I thought about that, I thought about, you know, this just isn't a one-time story. This just isn't an event uh, that happened that we remember and we talk about uh, and we celebrate as a part of a tradition. These are actual events. These are actual people that were involved in the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as we think about the story, I, I think that we do an injustice if we read the pages of Scripture and we look back and we think of an historical event that took place 2,000 years ago and we, we leave it at that. We call this series the, the Yuletide You, uh, discovering your piece of the story, because actually we all have a piece of the story. Each of us, like the shepherds or the wise men or Mary and Joseph, uh, those that were involved and those that we read about in the birth narratives of Jesus, we, each of us, have a piece of that story today in our own lives. And so as we come to Advent, and as we remember and as we share and as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, as we read not a mythical but historical account of events that actually took place. We find ourselves not only there then, but present now. And there are aspects in each of those that we read about that touch our lives that we can learn from 
as we live into, as we come to the manger in the year 2018, as we come to see and remember and celebrate the birth of our Savior. There are aspects of, of those who were there and present that very first Christmas that we can bring with us, that can become a part of our story, the story of engaging God at the place in which we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, for example, last week we talked about the shepherds. And we talked about how the shepherds encountered Jesus uh, in the events of their everyday lives. They were shepherding the ordinary. They were doing what they had always done. And yet, in the midst of the ordinariness of their lives, God made a great announcement to them. The angels came and proclaimed the birth of the long-awaited Messiah, the Anointed One, the Holy One of Israel. And they went and they saw. And not only did they see, they, they testified that what they saw was exactly, exactly as the angels had told them. And then they left that place with great joy and, and they were some of the first witnesses. The lowly shepherds became some of the first witnesses of the birth of our Savior. And so we learn from them that in the midst of our ordinary lives, we too are called to shepherd the ordinary and to be intentional about going and looking for Jesus. Because if we do, we can see that he's at work and he's present all around us. And in the places that we go to work or to school, in our neighborhoods, in our families, wherever we go, if we open our eyes and if we're diligent, we can go and we can find Jesus there. And the invitation is to become a part of what Jesus is doing, his mission and his message, to, to be a part of bringing the good news of the gospel, both in uh, word and deed, in the world that we live in, in the ordinary places, because that's where God does some of his most extraordinary work. And so we learned last week that our piece of the story could be just in our everyday lives, shepherding the ordinary and looking for Jesus there and finding him and honoring him by becoming a part of his story in the lives of the people around us. You know, as we think about that, we think about discovering our pieces of the story, whether it be shepherding the ordinary, as the shepherds we learned did last week, or, or this week, as we learn from Joseph, and in particular Mary, a, a, an inconvenient blessing. Um, we learn that the things that are obstacles to our discovering our piece of the story <clears throat> are one, mythologizing the story. Uh, that is, becoming so familiar with the story and reading it the way we would um, something out of a, a, of a fiction or a novel. And say, isn't that special? Isn't that heartwarming? Uh, isn't that just a, a, just a wonderful story? And we reduce it to to mythology like Santa Claus or the Grinch or any of the other Christmas stories that we're familiar with. Jesus just kind of gets minimized 
and mythologized, not looked at as a true historical person in a real historical event that changed the course of history in our lives forever. No, he becomes much like a fairy tale or a character in a, in a Dickens novel. That's called mythologizing the birth narratives, the story of his birth. So that, that threatens us. That <clears throat> literally threatens to, re, to remove our piece of the story. Because as long as it's mythology, it doesn't challenge us or invite us to respond. It's just a story. The second thing is one that we're very con, uh, familiar with, and that's, that's consumerism. If we're not mythologizing, then we're consuming. And, and somehow Jesus becomes lost in the consumption that now is associated with his birth. And, and he becomes just uh, another figure that's used by Madison Avenue. Right? To encourage our consumption of things and stuff. And soon those things and even ourselves become the idols of the celebration of the birth of our Savior. And so whether it be mythologizing or consumption, those are things that, that threaten us. Those are things that, that threaten to make Christmas irrelevant in our life. And yet, the Yuletide you is you discovering your piece of the story. You're looking in the lives of those who were there that first Christmas, identifying with them, learning from them, and saying there's something of their lives and their response that, that I and we can take away, that we can apply right now today as we enter into and we live the birth narrative out in our own life, in our own time. It's interesting. I chose this intentionally, the word Yule or Yule Tide. Uh, some of you may be familiar with it. Some of you may not. Um, like many traditions and customs and things that, that we as Christians have appropriated into Christmas, the word Yule was associated with a, a pagan celebration of the winter solstice long before the birth of Christ. And with that celebration, they would use greenery of trees. They would have great festivals. They would exchange gifts. Oftentimes, there would be the use of candles or light that would be a part of that celebration. But as Christianity spread through the Roman Empire, Christians took these practices that weren't related to Christian faith and they began to incorporate them or appropriate them, appropriate the culture, if you will, or some of the traditions or customs of the non-Christian culture into the celebration of Christ's birth. Really, what they were doing was Christianizing culture and taking things that people were familiar with and saying, hey, let's celebrate something that's true. Let's celebrate something that's life-changing. Let's use these things that you've been using in this way, but instead let's use them for the glory of God. And so the celebration of Christmas as we know it and some of the things that we do really didn't begin till several hundred years after the birth of Christ. Okay? But here's the irony. 
The irony is that as Christians took those things and appropriated them into their celebration, so we live in a time when the culture is trying to appropriate them back and, if you will, separate Jesus from them. And so history is cyclical, isn't it? That's why this is so important that you understand you have a piece of the story to own. That you're not going to mythologize. You're not going to be just a consumer of Christmas. But that you are going to come to the manger and be a participant. And you are going to learn from those that are there. Now last week, as I said, we learned from the shepherds that we are to shepherd the ordinary. And in the ordinary, if we look, and if we're faithful to go, we can find Jesus in the ordinary places of our lives. Today, uh, I want to talk to you about Joseph, but in particular Mary. And I want to talk to you about something I call an inconvenient blessing. You know, as we worship the Lord and as we celebrate his birth and as we participate in the customs and the traditions that we're familiar with, so often that involves going out and looking for gifts. And it's in the process of the looking for gifts that we can be very frustrated. We can stand in long lines, right? Uh, we can look for something on a shelf and it's gone. We can be very inconvenienced, can't we? In fact, there's a story about a frustrated Christmas shopper that lashed out. A woman was doing her last-minute Christmas shopping at a crowded mall. She was tired of fighting the crowds. She was tired of standing in lines. She was tired of fighting her way down long aisles looking for a gift that had been sold out days before. Her arms were full of bulky packages when an elevator door opened. It was full. And the occupants of the elevator grudgingly tightened their ranks to allow a small space for her and her load. As the doors closed, she blurted out, Whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. Right? The stake of holly driven to their heart. Ebenezer Scrooge. A few others in the elevator nodded their heads or grunted in agreement. Then from somewhere in the back of the elevator came a single voice that said, Oh, don't worry, lady. They already crucified him. You see, as we think about Christmas... And we think about the, the historical accounts of the birth of Jesus. Every single person involved experienced something. Something of an inconvenience. Something that we could call a divine uh, interruption. And as we think of Joseph and Mary, that is particularly true. Uh, ben Peterson writes this. He says... Ben's quote's coming up. There we go. When we want to get something done, it's our habit to say, don't just stand there, do something. When God wants to get something done in us, he says, just don't do something, stand there. We cannot make God happen in our lives. We cannot bring new life. We can only receive it. 
If we're to become receptive to God, we need to be willing, or we need to become willing to be interrupted. God will not, uh, God will not be scheduled. God will not be restricted to Sunday morning. If he cannot meet you on his own terms and in his own time, he will not meet you at all. Now certainly that's true. As we look in the story of Joseph and of Mary, uh, this young couple betrothed to be married, right? Life going, hopefully as they had planned, uh, on course for, for a life together. Uh, a life with few of the complications that were to come with the announcement of the angel. And yet suddenly, in a moment, their lives were interrupted. It was a divine interruption. And with that came inconvenience. Inconvenience. Their lives suddenly weren't going to look like they had planned. Uh, can you imagine the wedding plans? Everything they had thought about, had hoped for, had looked forward to, in a moment were going to change. But not only that, their lives and the lives of those around them, their family members, the members of the people in the community that knew them well, suddenly they would be embroiled in a scandal. People would be talking. What would the neighbors say? All because in that moment, God had another plan. But what would their response be? How would they respond to this invitation? Or if you will, this interruption in their lives. When, when I think of them, and I think of many of us who can share an account and give testimony to maybe similar stories when we were headed in one direction, but God had another plan. Uh, when our spirit was quickened and we were invited to change course or direction for a greater purpose, to accomplish something um, greater than just the accommodation of our own life and plans. When we think of that, and when those times come, I think of Romans 8.28 and how this really applies here. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to to his purpose. That God can bring good things, important things, monumental things, things that are in accordance with his work and his plan, into things that we might consider some interruptions in our life. But the question is, how are we going to respond when that happens? Well, Commentator Daryl Brock says this. When the angel says to Mary, you are highly favored. He is saying to her, you're uniquely privileged. Now, I don't think she felt that way in the beginning. <laughs> is it marvelous? It is marvelous, is it not? She carried the life of God within her. She was highly favored because she was the one by whom the Son of God would be born into the world. I want you to stop there before you read on. 
God had a plan for her life. It wasn't necessarily her plan. Her plans were interrupted for, for a greater plan. It was a, it was a divine interruption, but it was to be an inconvenient blessing, not only in her life, but one that has affected all of our lives. But she responded. She responded as one who loves God, one who was available to God, and one who humbled herself and set her plans aside in order to live fully and engage in the plans that God had, the greater plan for her. And how it wasn't just about her, that in her, God would birth something much greater, an inconvenient blessing. Now think about this. Daryl Brock goes on and continues, to be a Christian means that the life of Jesus is in you. You see, that's your piece of the story, isn't it? Now, the life of Jesus was, was in Mary and God had chosen her to give birth to our Savior. But you see, Jesus Christ is born again in the life of every person who by faith acknowledges their need for a Savior for the forgiveness of sin and recognizes that He is their Savior. And that Jesus literally lives in us. And Daryl Brock points this out. He says, to be a Christian means that the life of Jesus is in you. You, too, have a piece of the story. But here's the question. Will you yield your plans? Will you allow yourself to be inconvenience for the sake of someone and something that's greater than yourself. Can you acknowledge that God has a much larger story and much greater purpose for each of our lives than we can possibly imagine? And this is the case. This is what we see here with this young couple in Joseph and in Mary. And as we think of, of Mary's response, we we, we we look at, at her. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. As we look at her response, how she responded to the inconvenience that she was faced with, to the invitation to be a part of the much larger story that she had been invited to have a piece of. We see that she was reverent towards God. She was a godly woman. She was receptive to his word and to his message and to his invitation. And she was ready to serve. If we're going to be ready to serve, then we have to humble ourselves. Do we have to step down and allow the Lord to take His rightful place? That we could say that our life is not our own. That we have been purchased with a price, the blood of our Savior, whose birth we celebrate. And if our life is not our own, then we must be willing to yield our lives. We must be willing to be inconvenienced when that divine interruption comes in the midst of shepherding the ordinary events of our life. 
We must be willing to respond. Even when it's not according to our plans. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You see, God is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not demonstrated in Christ Jesus. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake, our sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. It's the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. He enters humanity to become like us in order to save us. Divine inconvenience? Why would we expect less for our lives? We're good. Hold on. Talking about interruptions, right? All right. Why would we expect less for our lives? I want to close with this. Peter Larson says, Despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's birth and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and he left through a door marked no exit. This morning, as we think about owning our piece of the story, okay, I want to invite you to consider your own lives. To think about places right now where where you know God is prompting you or pushing you or God is inviting you to engage the world that you live in differently than you may have planned. We all have those places, don't we? We all have those places. And I want you to think about what your response is going to be. How are you going to respond to a potential divine interruption in your life? And are you willing to engage that and in that find an, inconven- an inconvenient blessing? Okay? So just take a moment, settle, okay, if we can. And I want you to think now about those areas that God wants to interrupt, that God wants to disturb, to shake you up a little bit, okay? Spiritually. Not physically. And how you can own a piece of the story by engaging him. By humbling yourself. And by yielding your life for his use. Let's do that just quietly.